EMS World Expo is the largest EMS dedicated event in the world, and it's taking you places. And now we bring you stories from Expo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage and the EMS World Podcast Stories from Expo 2019. I'm Chris Montera, and we're here in New Orleans. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I, I like jazz, but yeah, it's okay. Um, don't go to Bourbon Street. It's really bad. Um, so today I'm with Jenna Tuttle, and you did a really cool paper at the uh, Scientific Symposium about pediatrics. So tell me a little bit about your research. Yeah, so uh, it's a retrospective analysis. Uh, we used data from ESO, so we used a national database. Nice. The database had about 252,000 patients in it. Wow. And we ended up with a sample size of about 553 patients. Nice. And so, so statistically significant. That's oh, good. Yeah. And so what we were looking at is we wanted to see how pediatric patient age impacted uh, endotracheal intubation success rates. Nice. And so what did you guys find out? So what we found out. Or what was your hypothesis? Also our, well, so just kind of my hypothesis was probably that the younger the patient the less likely you were to be successful, just right. because of the, the physiological changes in the airway. Sure. Um, and what we found is that when you compared age groups to, we used um, adolescents as a reference category, okay. so we compared everybody to adolescents because they're most like adults. Sure. Um, all, and what, all kids are just like little adults. <laughs> I'm just teaching them. And uh, so what we found was that neonates, when you compared neonate success rates to adolescent success rates, uh, providers were 60% less likely to successfully wow. intubate neonatal patients. Wow. And then, was there another break line at 5 or 10? Were there other break lines, or was that it, the only one? That was, that was it. Everybody else was, um, there was really no statistical significance in any of the other age groups aside from that neonatal age group. Wow. And what was your p-value at that point? It was 0 .014. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense then. You were, so you, uh, so when you um, when you looked at that, did you also look at the type of intubation equipment, or or whether it was a straight blade or a curved blade, or um, the type of intubation tube used, or was there any other variables you could introduce into that system that would have predicted success or not? Right. So what we did um, what we did look at was we looked at how many attempts the providers took. We didn't have access to what type of equipment they used, I wish that we did because that, that really... That would that, have been great. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Um, what we did look at was we looked at success, um, how many attempts it took them to be successful. And another one of our um, significant findings was that on the second attempt, providers were 73% less likely to be successful. Oh, yeah, so they're... it dropped by 73% when and you took a second you, attempt. Were you able to see, uh, was the data discrete enough where you could see the that they had a different attempt by a different provider? It was not, okay. unfortunately. That was one of the questions that somebody asked in the research presentation right. this morning. And again, that would be great for like a follow-up study sure. as well. But I, I would imagine that there probably aren't that many systems out of 500 patients where you would actually see, I mean, you may not even hit 30 at that point where you would have maybe seen that difference. It was an, it's very interesting. So. What do you, what do you, what can we glean from this? What do you, what do you think we should be doing about that research? Um, one of the things that I, I think was a salient finding from that is that we should concentrate on the BLS management of these patients' airways. You know, clearly um, one attempt, after one attempt, we should probably abandon right. ALS 
management of an airway, and we should really just focus on you know the basics of airway management for pediatrics. And well, that's what the, that's what most of the literature shows. Also, right. I had a mentor tell me recently that all airway is important. It's just the adjunct you choose. Right. So, you know, because I think you're right. Oftentimes you go, oh, you know, it's an advanced airway or whatever. But really, just using bag valve mask and oral airway can can tremendously change a patient's outcome. Because, and especially at that age, I mean, it's, it's, I mean those are, we're talking tiny, tiny stuff. Yes. At, at what port of neonate, does that one that it they was, break off? It at? was 28 days. Oh, wow. So zero to 28 days. Holy cow. So, so tiny, that's tiny. Really tiny. I mean, yeah, so I can't imagine any of us being proficient unless you're a, work in a pediatric center where you would actually be right. good at that. And so that's very interesting. Is, is there a way that we could, and this is weird, but could we practice on cats or something that has smaller anatomy? That, <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't no. know. I mean, in, in veterinary medicine, maybe we, is that a way we could become more proficient or should we just abandon it altogether? You know, again, this is just totally my opinion, <laughs> right. but I just think, you know, we should look at straight BLS management of those right. patients and just, unless there is a problem with actually ventilating the patient, that you should focus all of your oxygenation efforts Perfect. within the BLS venue. I think that's I think that's great advice. Although we don't give advice on the show, we just tell you to follow your local protocols. But I think as a as a provider too, I think that those are the patients that you're kind of already freaked out about anyway, and they're already right. tough to manage. And you're, then, you're pulling out hand heavy and doing all the stuff, and you've got to really think through those type of things, especially that small. Just, just adds so, so much more to your cognitive load. Yes. So exactly. why not do something that is comfortable for everybody? Just, and yep, anybody on your team could do. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jenna, where can people find information about you or your research? Um, they can find information about me or my research at the uh, Foundation for Pre-Hospital Medicine Research. Nice. Um, David that, Page, look him up. Yeah. Um, that also, so at the PCRF as well, you can find my abstract there. My abstract is also published in this month's edition of EMS World. Very nice. Um, so you can find information about it there. Very cool. And are you uh, are you going to go to a journal to, to publish as well? Because I, I would good. really like to turn this into an article and, and publish that as well. Probably we'll look at maybe West Gym. I was going to say something like annals or something would be great because I think it, it fits nicely into uh, what a lot of emergency medicine physicians would be looking at for us in the field as medical directors. Jenna, thank you. Great research, amazing. You always, always bring it. You brought it last year. You're just, you're. Do you, why do you like research so much? You know, I have a passion to kind of change our practice. I want to have a, a lasting impact right. on the pre-hospital uh, arena. And cool. one of the ways that I feel like I do that best is by finding how we can best mold our practices to have the best outcomes for our patients. Oh, laudable. Thank you. Thank you for doing that because. Uh, there are so many people like me that are out there that we, we would love to do it. It's like, how do you find time? What do you do it? So thank you so much. And um, you can find more information on Jenna and her great research in this month's edition of EMS World. And you can always find more great stories from EMS World and the EMS World Expo right here on this channel. I'm Chris Montero. Thanks for watching. I so much. I appreciate it.